Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Judges chapter 4. We're going to start there back in 1100 BC and bring ourselves on up to uh, today. I want to go ahead and just add my voice to the chorus. Happy Father's Day, all you dads out there. Uh, I am honored to be a part of that fraternity uh, three times over, in fact, and have three amazing daughters who are um, just the love of my life and, and love being a dad. And if you are a dad uh, and, or a, a man in general, okay, uh, I want to go on. I don't do this a lot. And those of you who go to church here on a regular basis know I don't do this very often. But, but today I feel uh, kind of compelled to do a brief rant, okay, about two minutes. So bear with me. I think it's a biblical rant, all right? Um, but but I, otherwise I wouldn't say it because I just feel like uh, that is something that... Um, you know, this is the pulpit, this is a place for the Word of God to be proclaimed. Um, I read a headline in the New York Times, the most influential paper in this country, uh, several years ago. The headline said this, Are Men Necessary? And that was the title of the article. Uh, and I remember reading it uh, and thinking to myself uh, about what, a, what a kind of a, an arrogant and ignorant question it was to ask in general. Uh, that article became so popular, it became a book and uh, sold lots of copies. And the idea around it was, you know, look, if uh, women could just do this and this and this and figure things out um, for themselves, then maybe men wouldn't be quite so, we'll use the term necessary. I, I want to just kind of eschew that, if not cast it into the pit of hell this morning and say, men, listen, we need you. Uh, you're not just uh, necessary, you're, you're, you're essential. And uh, so if you're, if you're honoring the Lord in your home as a dad, as a husband, or if you're a young man, this is one of the most confusing, discouraging times I can imagine to grow up as a young man. I'm grateful that I grew up in the time that I did because I think you all got it very, very hard today. It's confusing. It's discouraging. You, the, the messages you get are mixed. Uh, and um, everybody's telling you what you're supposed to be. No, don't be that way. Don't be that way. Be this way. Be this way. And, and I just want you to understand Whenever somebody says or asks the question, do you matter, uh, you can come ask me, and I will tell you, and I hope the men in this church will do it, and I hope the sisters in this church will do it too, and say, you're, you're not just like tolerable, you're essential, and we need you, and we love you, and we want to call the best out of you, and we want you to know um, that, that you matter in society. I mean, the signs are everywhere, right? There's a massive correlation between fatherlessness uh, and almost every vice in society, as you know it, incarceration, poverty, uh, education, everything, there are massive correlations that show that the scourge of fatherlessness in this world is, 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 is real and is huge. But even beyond that, there, I think, is a, a messaging standpoint where it's like if somebody grew up, and I, I was blessed to have a, a, a great father, okay? I mean, I, like, like Hall of Fame father, like Hang his jersey in the rafters in heaven level, dad, okay, from a spiritual standpoint, just blessed beyond measure, okay? Um, but, but if somebody were to, to just have tried to convince me that he did not matter, or he was not essential, or that my life would be better without him, or society would be better if he weren't in it, or if you're a young man and you hear that message repeated to you over and over and over again, or... In the broader culture, where, as say, 10, 15 years ago, if you'd said, hey, Tim, can you give me some examples of dads portrayed in media that uh, are positive? I could have probably rattled off 10, 20 names for you. Now I can give you one. I can think, and that show's gone now, Jack Pearson from This Is Us. 
when I racked my brain, he was the only one I could think of in the last, say, five to seven years where there was a male positively portrayed as a father on screen. Uh, and, and so I want to say this, men, don't listen to the ungodliness and the wickedness around you telling you you don't matter, that you're not in control of yourselves, you don't have anything to offer. Um, so just, just take that and, and launch that into the, the, the sun. I don't want to do harm to the sun. Launch that into hell where it belongs, and we'll move on this morning. All right, there you go. End of rant. Now, back to this series. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, I want, to, I want to echo this and say this is a good example today in Judges 4 and 5 of men and women working together on stuff. And seeing, this is from, you know, oh, somewhere between 1107 and about 1067 B.C., and we're going to look today at the story of Deborah, and we're going to call her Jail. It would be Yael, probably, but that's too cumbersome to say 8,000 times this morning. So I'm just going to say Jail. That's how it reads in your Bible to most people's eyes. Uh, Barak and Sisera and some of these kinds of guys. So I got a story for you. I got a song for you and a point, and then we're done, all right? Um, we're, we're doing this series called Not So Superheroes because not every hero or heroine of the Bible is super. Uh, you have characters in the Bible that are either, they, they played a huge role, but nobody really knows their names very much. It's similar in society. A lot of the greatest men and women that have ever lived are people whose names you will never know. Um, they're just good salt-of-the-earth people, and all they did was um, they were born, they lived a noble life, they, they were married for 55, 60 years, raised great kids, uh, were honest in their workplace, they did all sorts of um, small acts of kindness that, that turned into big things over time, but nobody ever really knows their name. The Bible has a lot of people like that in there. We're going to look at a couple of them this morning. Um, when, when we do this, we, we find that urge to build superheroes in the world. I, I don't really know why. That we tried with this guy. His name's Skate Man, okay? Skate Man, um, he made it one issue of the magazine, and there are hundreds of these, where somebody tried to say, hey, let's come up with a concept for a hero that we can make somebody a hero. This guy was a Vietnam vet and roller derby player um, named Billy Moon, and he, he made a one issue. In issue two, it's alluded to that he fell down a staircase and died. And so for this guy, or if you saw the little intro video to this series where I was next door at Honey Hole interviewing guys about, hey, can you tell me about this superhero? Uh, there were superheroes like Fin Fang Foom, uh, who I totally stumped uh, the guys at Honey Hole with, and it was out of their own binder of cards, of Marvel cards, that I was going through and saying, all right, tell me about this person. Um, and they couldn't do it. So even the most, you know, the biggest experts on who these people were get stumped from time to time. You forget the stories. And in the Bible, um, you have these not-so-superheroes, these people that nobody's heard of, or you've heard of them, but they were imperfect. So they were, you know, they, they're, they're one loss. They were not undefeated. They were people who maybe made the playoffs, but they had plenty of losses to go with the wins that they got. We admire superheroes because they do things that we can't. When I was a kid, I was an Incredible Hulk guy, and this is back before the Marvel movies. This was back when you had David Banner, played by Bill Bixby, in the TV show, and Lou Ferrigno, bodybuilder extraordinary, who was, who was painted head to toe in green paint, and David Banner was like a lab rat, and then he did fine until somebody would bully him, and then, you know, he had those creepy blue eyes that would pop out of his head, and he would turn into the Hulk, and his clothes would tear. And he could then pick up cars and throw them, 
He could do all sorts of, of awesome things. And I, but underneath it, there was something that tapped into in me. I was thinking, you know, boy, as a kid, when you feel often you're middle school or something, you feel so powerless, it's like, what would it be like to be able to get mad and then just instantly be the strongest person around? How cool would that be? How cool would it be if you're Superman, if you're Clark Kent, and you're a nerd that works for a newspaper, to be able to, if somebody needed some help, be able to run into a phone booth, pop back out, and all of a sudden you can fly, and you're super fast, and you can take care of the world's problems. Oh, man. Or Batman. I still don't know what he does. Um, but <laughs> and I'm told he's impressive. So you have Batman. He's got a cool car. That's cool. Um, and you've got Wonder Woman, right? And you've got uh, all of the modern-day guys. But they're, they're ordinary people who transform. So you've got, so for instance, Iron Man in his day life is who? Rodney Stark. There we go. Okay. Um, and, and you take uh, the, these other people that, that are normal people, but all of a sudden, boom, now we've changed. We've transformed. This morning, I'm going to give you a story of some superheroes. Not so. They're ordinary people who become a bit super when they need to. A story to tell you, a song to share with you, and then a couple of thoughts on the importance of courage. So let me start with the characters, all right? Got two countries. We'll put uh, Canaan over here on this side of the iPad. Israel's on this side. Bear with me here, okay? Picture a, a little chart, two columns. Over here in Canaan, the issue on the table is that Canaan, uh, Canaan is dominant and oppressing Israel. So think, it wasn't like Egypt. It wasn't 400 years. It was about 20 years but the Canaanites are in charge. Their king, his name is Jabin, all right? And then his general is named Sisera. Jabin, Sisera, Canaan. You got it? Show me something. No, it's okay, good. Over here in Israel, all right, the Israelites are oppressed, crying out to God. The leader at the time is a woman named Deborah, all right? She's a judge, which is different than king or queen. It's more like a military leader. But she's also a prophetess, known for her wisdom. People would come, she would sit under a palm tree known as the Palm of Deborah. And they would come and they would ask her for her wisdom. And they would ask her for advice. And they would ask her to, hey, we got a dilemma. Can you help us solve the problem? So Deborah is a prophetess, judge. Uh, I mean, really, uh, 40 years she reigns. And, but, but Israel's under the thumb of the Canaanites. So you got Deborah on top. Her general is named Barak. That may sound familiar. We had a president named Barak couple of years ago. Okay, Barack, I guess it was a long time ago now, think about it, eight years ago. That's part of getting older. Time's in a weird warp. You still think you're 30 in your mind and you're, you're not. All right, Barack. So you got, you got Deborah, then you got Barack. Okay, and then there's a third character who, who's a, another female named Jael. We're going to call her Jael. Yael is how you would say it in Hebrew, but we're going to call her Jael. All right? So she got a mean streak. Uh, in her, we learned. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get back to her. All right, so you got your characters, right? Jabin, Sisera, versus Deborah and Barak. Jael turns out to be the hero in some ways, but, but that's, that's the thing. So they call out to God. God decides to answer their prayers. Uh, and uh, Canaan, as we mentioned, oppressing the Israelites. God hears the prayer. Deborah calls General Barak. And says, get 10,000 men together. God is about to deliver us. Now, Barak appears to be a very data-driven guy, not very spirit-led, much more data-driven. Tends to look at the troop count, say, hey, 
you know what? Uh, picture it like a game of risk. This is me uh, illustrating. This is not in the text. They didn't play risk in the Bible. Uh, but but like, it's like, hey, they got control over North America and South America, and we have like Kamchatka. That's all we got. We don't have the troop count. We could lose this, but I'll tell you what, if you want me to go, then, then I'll go. But Deborah, you have to come with me. Now, before we get to, oh, she must have been some warrior princess or whatever. That's really not what's going on. What he's saying is, I know that you and God have a connection. I know you're a prophet. Therefore, I want you with me because that means God's with us. And so if you aren't going to come with us, then I'm out. I don't want to do it. And so Deborah says, yes, I will go with you. But here's the deal. You don't need to be afraid because God's already gone before you. And you're not going to get credit for this. The credit for this battle and the victory thereto appertaining is going to go to an unnamed woman. So you're not going to get credit for it. Barack seems just fine with that. But that little piece right there, let's start there with courage. She doesn't, he doesn't, neither of them uh, seem to be afraid. They don't seem to do it. Barack's afraid if Deborah doesn't go with him. Deborah's not afraid at all because she believes God is with him. And Barack, in a backdoor way, is saying essentially the same thing. Hey, is God with us? If he's with us, then we'll be okay. When it comes to huge life decisions, huge battles, or everyday battles, the first question is not supposed to be, what are we up against? It's supposed to be, who is with us? So when you're facing that stuff in everyday life, it'll give you a lot more courage to think about more who is with you than who's against you. Because if God is with you, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, God is with you, you can't be defeated. If he's not with you, you can't win. You can't win. If he's against you, you're done before it even starts. Doesn't matter how many troops you got. All right, so moving on. Deborah tells him, remember, so remember who we got here? Jabin and Sisera. Hey, we got one guy in the front to remember, Sisera. Over here, Deborah, Barak, jail. All right, so Deborah goes back to Barak and says this. This is Judges 4, 14 to 15. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Now that's, you can underline that one. And back to what we just said. You need courage? Has God gone, has God gone before you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. But Barak advanced, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. All right. So everybody's wiped out except Sisera. He jumps out of his chariot, takes off on foot. He runs to a village because he and the guy who's kind of over the village are peace with each other. So he goes, hey, safe house over there in that village. I'm going. He gets there. There he meets jail. And he goes, oh, jail. Thank the Lord you're here. Hey, I got to come in. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. And I need somebody to cover for me. Can I come in? She says, yes, by all means. Come on into the tent here. She throws a rug over him, the text says. So then he says to her, okay, I'm thirsty. Do you have anything? She goes, here's some milk. Have some milk. Gives him some milk. Man, I sure am tired. I'm a, I need to rest a while. Do me a favor. 
Stand at the door of the tent. If anybody comes by looking for me, mom's the word, okay? You got to cover for me. She's like, oh, of course. So he lays down, warm milk in his tummy, lays down under the rug. He falls asleep. And as he purrs, Jael goes over and grabs a tent peg and a hammer. And she comes over, puts the tent peg in his temple, and drives it through his head with the hammer until it drives into the ground. All the way through his head, into the ground. And then the Bible, in very dramatic fashion, says, and he died. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) All right, so there you go. Um, so, So Israel wins the victory. Sisera, I mean, everybody's gone. Everybody's gone on, on, on Canaan now. Israel's triumphant. And so then something strange happens. Deborah and Barak sing, apparently together. Seems like a duet. It says in your Bible the song of Deborah, but it says at the beginning, Deborah and Barak sang. So I don't know if he sang tenor, she sang soprano. I don't know if they had dancers behind them or whatever, but it was to make a strange musical um, It sounds like that, though. I'm going to take you through their song, make a few brief points, going back to the rant at the beginning. Men, show up. Don't be a male. Be a man. Ladies, you got a role to play, too. Jail ain't no joke. Neither's Deborah. It's all right. Grab the tent pegs when it's time or whatever. The battle we're in is not one of flesh and blood, okay? It's one against the principalities and the powers of the darkness in which we live, and we have a battle to fight. We've been given the full armor of God to fight together with. But it doesn't do any good if half of the, of the army decides that they don't want to fight. And that's kind of what starts to happen now. This is roll call, hall of fame, hall of shame for what just went down in the battle. So we're going to start here, Judges 5, verses 1 and 2. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. When the people willingly offer themselves. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Willingly offer themselves. Saying, if you enlisted because you knew there was a battle to fight, praise the Lord for you. Rather than being drafted by force, or rather than doing what the others do, which is essentially cop out and not fight at all, when people willingly enlist themselves and say, I understand the nature of what we're doing, I understand that that I'm needed. So this happens in theory at the baptistry when you decide I'm giving my life to Jesus, you enlist. But just because you enlist at one point doesn't mean, sometimes it's easy to enlist in peacetime. You enlist during wartime. Now... Now that's a different type of enlistment. People signing up saying, I know there's a war going on, and I know it means I'm going to battle, but I'm going to go ahead and sign up anyway because I know that's what my country, for instance, would need. In this case, it's spiritual in nature uh, for us today. It's I understand that what's going on in the world around me, we, we are in a, in, a, in a catastrophic mess as a society right now, okay? And it's fixable, but it needs something that goes way beyond just what we can kind of sit there and, and uh, dream up or, or do whatever. It needs people who are willing to allow the Spirit of God to work in them in such a way 
that the full armor of God, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, is being born in their lives in such a way that even when somebody tries to extinguish that, that they're willing to fight for it. You understand what I'm saying? So don't be a coward from a spiritual standpoint because she's going to them next. When people show themselves, or Deborah says, when the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Now she starts naming names. Now this is going to get a little wordy, but I'm going I'm to walk you through this. It's kind of funny and kind of sad. This is Judges 5, 13 to 18. The remnant of the nobles came down. Remember, they're seeing this, right? One of the things to know about these songs is when they sing them, they usually sing them again. They become uh, liturgically encased in Israel. So the odds of this song being sung later, I mean, we're reading it this morning. Uh, What, 3,100 years later? Here we are. The names are still being called out. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down from Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. These guys are all getting the the applause. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. Now we hear a record scratch. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling of the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast, stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced field. Let me sum this up. Those of you who fought valiantly and came down to volunteer, bravo. Now, those of you who are cowards, let me name you real quick. We're going to sing this in musical form, and, uh, and we'll make this the bridge, okay? And we're going to sing this one on repeat for a while so that in the annals of history of Israel, you will go down with people knowing that God called you to battle and you hung back with the ships. You didn't fight. That when God called you to battle, you went and chose the whistling of the flock. You went and you decided not to cross the Jordan because you knew you crossed the Jordan. Now you're in Canaan and now you're in danger. So, hey, Zebulun, Naphtali, Issachar, Benjamin, what a bunch of strapping lads. Way to go. Now, Reuben and Dan, uh, Gilead, what, uh, I must have missed you. Where were, where, where were you again? The, the two scenes from film that come to mind when I read this song, one is from Saving Private Ryan, when that guy leaves his, his platoon, basically hosed. He's there, he's armed, he can totally solve it, but he, has a, he clenches up and, and tenses up and, and fails, and people, people get hurt. The other is from my favorite movie, Gladiator, where Commodus shows up at the end of the opening battle scene, and Marcus Aurelius is his dad, and he shows up, and, he, and after the battle is over, and he says, have I missed it? Have I missed the battle? And his dad goes, you've missed the war. Because Commodus has no courage. He wants to be emperor without fighting. He wants influence without valor. 
He wants respect without doing anything worth respecting. And I think when I read this song, I, I, I sit there and I go, wow. What would it be like to have your tribe's name memorialized as the cowards? Hey, you're at the Israelite reunion. You know, you're sitting around, hey, yeah, I'm Tim from <clears throat> Reuben. <clears throat> you know, you don't, wanna, you don't want anybody to know what tribe you're from. <laughs> because it's like, why were you back lingering with the ships? What, 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 do you think, what do you think this is about, man? Do you, do you, do you think that, that if God called you to battle, that he was going to let you fail? Do you think that if God gave you all that equipment, if God gave you all of that stuff to be courageous with, do you think that he did it so that you could sit back and listen to the bleeding of your goats, the bang of your lambs over the clanking of the shields and the swords? There's something kind of funny and yet so sad about this because it does teach us it's like all right, this is a song the angel of the Lord he's the third singer we didn't read what he says I'm going to read it to you now it's not on the screen though his is a sad song it's short a couple of lines curse morose said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Judges 5.23. That's his only line in the song. But boy, that'll sing, huh? Oh, Morosians. See, God has no word of commendation for those who linger by the ships when they were equipped for and called to battle. And so, sisters and brothers, this morning, I know that we don't often choose battle imagery. It is everywhere in the Bible, Old and New Testaments. But boy, I hope we hear this. Because the battle we're in, again, it's not, it's not flesh and blood. It's not this kind of battle. It's a spiritual battle against the principalities and powers of the darkness in which we live. And so if you're a mom or a dad or you're a child, don't go linger by the ships. Put on the full armor of God and go do the battle that you've been called to. And then we as a people then, we don't have to sit around going, hey, because here's the question. When the, when the book, chapter, and verse of NBC has been written, what are they going to sing about us? What will the song be like? Will it be, hey, you know, there were some great people in that church, but you know what? There was this, there was this clan inside or this family, and, you know, they were mostly known for, you know, showing up when there was a buffet. Uh, but, but when it came time to set up, tear down, when it came time to, to share their faith, when it came time to, to give, when it came time to serve, uh, they were back hearing the whistling of the flocks. What will they say about me? Oh, Tim, bless his heart, you know. He meant well. What will they sing? Fathers, what will your family sing about you someday? Will they say, what amazing man of God that he was? What an influence. What a, what a 
what an imprint on my life he made and how he went to bat, not just for that, but, but in imitation of his heavenly father, he in an earthly form became some sort of father to the fatherless. He influenced young people around him that didn't have that positive male role model in the house, you know, and, and made a huge impact. Will they say that or will they go, you know what, I don't, he wasn't around. He was back with the ships. He was back lingering by the ships. Sister, same for you. Well, they say, yeah, you know, she could have done all these great things. She could have been a Deborah. She could have been a Jael. She could have been whoever. No, she was a Jezebel instead. She was a Jezebel. Or, or she was not worth really noting at all. See, the beauty of this is Scripture gives us this calling and this warning and reminds us that sometimes, again, I'm talking here spiritually, not flesh and blood battles, but there is a time you can't, you're going to face Goliath, and when you do, you can't beat him with sentimentality, ideology, or hashtags. You can only beat him with courage, slingshots, and rocks, and the presence of God. You understand what I'm saying? So gird up your loins, brothers and sisters, both, as Scripture would say, and prepare for the battles. That, and some of you are wrestling right now. And you feel bullied by it. You feel pushed back against the wall by it. And you feel like, I don't know if I want to go out or not. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know. You know, I feel scared. I feel. Hear the battle cry. What will they sing about us? I was trying to think of a moment in our church's life where, where I saw this kind of strength being lent and, and, and um, it being Father's Day. I said, all right, when dudes did a good thing. Well, I didn't have to think that long, but the first one that jumped into my mind. February 15th, 2013. We decided to baptize some people. Um, this is in our old Juniper property just down the street, 13th and Juniper, but this is before we had uh, remodeled everything. So uh, back then, those of you who were, who were uh, with us a few years ago may remember the old Juniper building. Baptistry was on the ground level. It wasn't that way when we got the building. We got the building, it was up on the second floor. So it would be like it being up where the lights are now, way up there. And, uh, and so to get there, you had to go from the ground floor, and they had staircases about that wide. Like almost if you were a broad-shouldered dude just walking up them, you could brush your shoulders on the sides. And so... Getting up there, it was straight up, this way and that way. And, you know, old church buildings where the guys are building the building themselves, and they're not thinking about feats of architecture exactly and things like that. You know, it's where Uncle Bob and whoever got the hammer and nails out, and they built a staircase. All right, so we have a young lady who you see pictured here. That's her name's Brittany Carr, cerebral palsy, wheelchair, well-equipped wheelchair, heavy wheelchair. Pick that thing up several times. Very heavy. She wants to get baptized. How are we going to get her up there? <laughs> and so we thought, and by the way, she wanted her doll baptized. You can see the doll down there too. Uh, we, and so Ronnie, the guy with the red hair, he ended up becoming a Navy SEAL, uh, picks her up like a sack of potatoes out of her wheelchair, throws her over his shoulder, and goes up these narrow staircases. Somebody else grabs a wheelchair, pulls it up there. And then the baptistry... You had to be in it to know this. But there was one little indention where the head has to go. So if you're going to baptize them, their head has to go in that hole. Like, there's no other way to do it. And it took two people to baptize her. So we're trying to figure out, like, how do we mechanically 
get this thing done? Well, uh, we did figure it out, and we ended up getting her baptized and her mom and her brother that day. And the vision of him carrying her up the stairs uh, has stuck with me ever since. Because you find yourself going, that's kind of the picture. It's if God makes you strong, he doesn't do it. Men, you were not put here to open jars, kill spiders, and get things off the top shelf. Maybe do that too, but that's not your only purpose. That part of being strong is being strong for the weak. It's the willingness to say, you know what? And I mean, I wish this were exceptional. It's really not. My dad, uh, there was a man named Earl Watson, World War II vet. He had MS in a wheelchair, one of those highly equipped wheelchairs, heavier than heavy. He was a big dude himself, weighed probably at least three bills. He's in a wheelchair. Earl wanted to go to church. This is, there was no streaming back then. Uh, there were no cell phones back then. Uh, if you wanted to come to church, it was live or nothing. And so my dad said, all right, we're going to get this guy to church. So he has this uh, old Chevy Cheyenne pickup, and he builds these steel ramps. Uh, and they're rusty and everything because it's a steel he had. And he makes them and, and tries to polish them up as best he can. But uh, we would go to the VA center and get Earl. And we would, I mean, this, is, this would totally not fly these days, but in the 80s, you just did whatever you wanted, and, and the government kind of looked the other way. They wouldn't let us get away with this today. But he was in a mechanical wheelchair. He had a real shaky hand, so he couldn't navigate straight up the ramps. He had to have some help to do that, too. And he would just drive right up these two ramps, right in the back of my dad's pickup truck. We would, we would like, bungee cord the guy to the, <laughs> so that his wheelchair did not roll back or forth, and then drove him to church, okay? <laughs> now... We did this before the first, you know, before, like, earlier than early. This is like when, you know, our first volunteers would show up at NBC, you know, an hour and a half before the first service. We didn't do it for, like, a month. We did it for years. Years. That was the route to church. You go by the VA center first, and you get Earl. Then you go to church. Guys, for years. And I don't think it took me, I hated doing it as a kid. I wish I could say, oh, I was so noble. In my better moments, I would know that, right? But all I could think about was I was up late Saturday night, and now i got to get up an extra hour early so we can go get this guy. And sometimes he was cantankerous, and sometimes he was frustrating, he was mean. But he was in church. <laughs> and he was there because somebody was willing to be strong on his behalf. Do you hear what I'm saying, sisters and brothers? Don't waste your strength. Don't hang back by the ships or hang out with the goats. Interestingly, Jael's name means mountain goat in uh, Hebrew. I don't know if there's some tie there or not, but, you know, it's one of those, like, hopefully it's not for looks or anything like that. Hopefully it's, you know, she's mean like a mountain goat or she climbs things or, or there's some linguistic tie between those two things, the hanging back with the flocks and her. But man, I, I just go home with this today, okay? Um, 
you have a choice, dads, about what kind of guy you're going to be. And I just want to say, don't be a male. Be a man. Young men, don't be boys longer than you have to be. When you, when you, that, that's a process. But then be a man of God. Okay? Sisters, be everything that God has called you to be. Be a Deborah. Be a Jael. Be fierce. Be, be strong. God has called you to the same battle. And together, if we're not careful, we may just win a few. <laughs> but if God is with us, then the gates of hell will not prevail against us. May God bless the hearing of his word. We're going to gather around the Lord's table at this time. Uh, if you have uh, got the elements on the way in, great. If you didn't and you'd like some, uh, the bread and the cup, just put your hand like this in the air uh, and we'll bring you some. We've got ushers that have have the elements with them. Uh, today, there are a lot of places we could reflect. I want to ask you to maybe circle it around where you are in the battle today. Are you, are you out in the middle of things? you out there swinging whatever you got, trying to, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, be able to, to, uh, to win the battles that God has put in front of you? Or are you back with the ships, back with the flocks, um, whatever it is, I pray that today when you take the bread and the cup, you're going to remember Jesus who, who followed and did all the battling all the way through the cross to win the victory for us. And so now we as his people go forward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup, we say yes. We say we're in. Uh, Father, for those of us who've been standing on the sidelines, Father, pray that you give us a nudge. Call the best out of us. Give us a mission, Father, that it takes your presence to fulfill. Father, keep us from small thoughts, weak knees, uh, shaking hands, Father, that are trembling with fear all the time and the size of the army on the other side, but instead, Father, help us to know that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. So now with bread and cup, Father, we, we take this remembering the body and blood of Christ who showed us what it's like to be brave. We remember him now in Jesus' name.